So the, the title of what I'm sharing with you this morning is Born for This, Born for This. Would you please say that? Born for This. A little bit louder, Born for This. So would you please turn so long to Esther chapter four, and we'll get there a little bit later on. So I wanna start off with an introduction and say that this message is based on the story of Esther as found in the Old Testament. And I'm sure that you have heard of the story before. And it describes, in essence, how God worked through Esther in a remarkable way so that an entire nation was affected and so that God's people, the Jewish people, were saved from being destroyed. Now, if you have never read the book of Esther, I encourage you to do so because it's only 10 chapters in length and it shouldn't take too long for you to read the book of Esther. Something interesting about this book is, do you know that God is not even mentioned once in the book of Esther? Quite amazing, you think, golly, can that be? And that is the case. God isn't mentioned by name or doesn't say God or something like that. But in terms of it, it's nevertheless, his hand is powerfully at work orchestrating things behind the scene. So God is very involved in the story, although he is not specifically mentioned. Now, in order for us to appreciate how powerfully God is orchestrating events, we need to understand something of the context and the bigger picture that is at play here. And so would you allow me to try to summarize this story in just a few minutes? And I'm gonna give it to you in a kind of a story way, and I'm hoping that you will grab a hold of it. For some of you, this might be the first time that you actually get a hold of the story of Esther. And so please listen up carefully. This is the story, this is the summary. Essentially, there are four characters in this story. And they are Esther, who's at the center of the story. Secondly, it is Mordecai, who is Esther's uncle. Then there's King Xerxes, and then Haman, a Persian official. Esther, Mordecai, King Xerxes, and Haman. Now, King Xerxes was a ruler over this vast kingdom. It was the most powerful kingdom at that time, and do you know that it stretched all the way from India to Ethiopia? Wow. And this was around 480 before Christ. So in King Xerxes' kingdom, it was going so well that he decided he was gonna hold a lavish banquet. He's gonna hold this party of all parties for the nobles and the officials in the land and get this, the past party lasted 180 days. Wow, that's quite a party. Six months of jollying. <laughs> and it was a tremendous display of the king's wealth and his grandeur because he was a wealthy king. And when it was over, the king decided, I'm gonna hold another banquet. This one was shorter. This would be for all the people in the land from the greatest to the least, and this one would last seven days. Now take note of this. 
the king provided an unspoiled wine to all the people, and there were no limits on consumption. This was a bottomless feast, if I could put it that way. Golly. And then on the seventh day of this banquet, the king was in high spirits in more ways than one, I guess, and the king called for Queen Vashti. He wanted the queen, because she was so beautiful, to come and parade her beauty in front of all the nobles and the other men that were there, but she refused. And this is where we need sound effects that go, da-da. So she refused to appear before the king. So the king deposed her. He threw her out, took her from her position. And then a contest was held, which was basically your Miss Persia contest, okay? A beauty pageant was held to find the most beautiful in all of Persia. And as a result, Esther, a young Jewish girl, she was found as one of these maidens who was brought before the king. And in the end, Esther, she was extremely beautiful. She outshone all the other maidens, and here she became queen of Persia. Can you imagine that? Taken out of obscurity, and here she's the queen of this great empire. And then Haman, that Persian official, he enters the scene. And the king promoted Haman to the highest position in the land, and he required that everyone would bow before Haman, this official. But Mordecai, a Jewish man, he refused to bow before Haman. The story of Esther doesn't say exactly why, but I would suspect that this man discerned that there was something wrong, and as a matter of principle, he refused to bow before Haman. He refused to bow down. So Haman he was furious, and he set his sights on destroying Mordecai, and he discovered that Mordecai was a Jew, so he decided, I'm also gonna destroy all of Mordecai's people, all of the Jewish people, and essentially, he set his heart on genocide. Isn't it amazing how down through all the years over history, Every now and again, the devil tries to destroy the Jewish people, God's special people. Wow. It happened back in Esther's day as well. So in a cunning way, he then, Haman persuaded the king to issue a decree that would see to the annihilation of the Jewish people. And it would be carried out 11 months later on the 13th day of Adar, according to the Jewish calendar. And this date, by the casting of lots, or the casting of dice, which was called Pur. And so that's, put that in your back of your mind for a little bit later. So here it is. There is this edict, there is this decree, saying the Jews are gonna be destroyed, annihilated. What does Mordecai do? Mordecai, in desperation, he reaches out to Esther, and he says to Esther, appeal to the king to spare the Jews from being destroyed. And very importantly, Mordecai 
helped Esther to realize that God had put her in this position for just this very purpose. And so then after fasting, Esther then entered the king's presence uninvited. This was risking her life as she did this because you were never allowed to come before the king uninvited because it was something that was punishable by death. And she told Mordecai these words, which are famous words. She said, and if I perish, I perish. Wow. Astounding words. She was even prepared to die doing the will and purpose of God. But thankfully, the king received Esther graciously and offered her up to half of his kingdom. Now, sometimes when my wife comes to me and says, honey, I'd like to ask you something, then I say, honey, have up to half of my kingdom. Ask what you want. <laughs> I'm a nice husband, eh? I've actually used that once or twice. But anyhow, so the king says, I, up to half of my kingdom. And what happened is Esther made no immediate re request but she wisely invited the king to a banquet along with Haman. And then after the first banquet, to another banquet, because she was looking for exactly the right moment to make her request known. And by the way, in the meantime, Haman had built a large gallows, 75 feet tall, and this was for the purpose of slaying Mordecai because he hated Mordecai for his continued refusal to bow to him. And so here, it is now the second banquet. It's a small banquet. It's just the king, the queen, and Haman. And at this banquet, Esther now comes out with it. And what does she do? She reveals her Jewish identity. She's a Jew. She makes an appeal for her people and she exposed Haman's wicked scheme, his treachery. She exposed it. Must have been a shock as the king heard what was being told to him. And so the king was angry with Haman and he ordered that Haman would be hanged immediately on the same gallows that had been prepared for Mordecai. How Bizarre, how ironic, but it was in the plan and purpose of God. And so now Haman is dead. But with Haman out of the way, there is still this promise, the problem of the king's decree. Because this could not be reversed according to Persian law. It stated that a decree by the king could not be reversed, it could not be revoked. And so what ended up happening is a new decree had to be enacted or a counter degree, decree, and this was for the same day, the 13th day of Adar. And basically this decree gave the Jews permission that they could defend themselves and they could destroy anybody that was wanting to come against them. And so when that day arrived, the 13th day of Adar, you know what happened? God was with his people the Jewish people defeated their enemies and they were delivered. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? They were delivered through the hand of God. 
And so there was great joy in the land. There was great celebration in the land, and it became an annual feast known as the Feast of Purim. And so then the book, took, the book then closes in the 10th chapter of the book of Esther with Mordecai being promoted to the second highest position in the land. This Jewish man in a Persian kingdom, he's second highest, only second to the king. And he helped the Jewish people thrive in a land of exile. And by the way, that is, in a nutshell, the story of Esther and what God did. And you know what? As I was looking at the story, there are so many things that we can learn and see and applications that we can make. But I want to point out the following, that God will never abandon His people. Come on, you can get a bit more excited about that. God will never abandon His people. He did not abandon the Jews who were living in Persia, and he will not abandon us. Praise God. And so even though there is great wickedness in the nation of South Africa, I want to tell you that he will not abandon God-fearing believers who call on the name of Jesus in this nation. You've got to hear that today and let encouragement come through that. And so I want to say to you, no matter how bad it looks in our nation of South Africa, God will not abandon us as the blood-washed children of God. God is committed to redeeming the situation in our nation. Let faith arise in Jesus' name. Now, let's look at that key verse. You're there, Exodus 4, verse 14. And this is undoubtedly the key verse of the book of Esther. It says in Esther 4, verse 14, reading from the New King James Version, these are Mordecai's words to Esther. Listen carefully. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And here it is. Yet, who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Say those words with me. For such a time as this. A little bit louder. For such a time as this. There are three things that I wanna share with you. Can I have a little bit more level on my mic? Number one, there comes a time when our silence becomes unrighteous. There comes a time when our silence becomes unrighteous. Say that aloud with me. There comes a time when our silence becomes unrighteous. Now, look at verse 14, the first part. I'm just reading from the New Living Translation now. It says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your relatives will die. That's quite a verse. That same first part of verse 14 in the contemporary English version says, if you don't speak up now, we will somehow get help, but you and your family will be killed. Hmm. Very interesting. Now, I wanna say to you this, that there are some times in our lives where we simply must speak up and open our mouths for the purposes of God. You've gotta hear that today. There are times when you cannot keep quiet, you simply must speak out. 
and you must speak out against wrong that you are seeing and that you must speak out against injustices that are taking place. Come on, child of God. There's times when you've got to speak out. You might say, well, I, I'm a quiet person. I'm an introvert and so on. I don't want to speak out. You know, I, I'm a quiet person. I want to tell you, no matter how quiet you are, introverted you are, there are times in your life where you must speak out for the purposes of God. You might say, well, it's an option to keep quiet. I challenge you, it's not an option to keep quiet. At certain times, it is wrong to keep quiet. You have to speak up. You simply have to. It's not an option to keep quiet. Now, sadly, the church in South Africa was largely silent during the time of apartheid. And that was wrong. It was completely wrong, and it must never happen again. I don't know what actually caused that in that particular space of time, but I believe that the church of Jesus Christ and the nation of South Africa has learned some things from the past, and that we will not allow ourselves to be quiet when we need to speak up against injustices. Now, you would have probably noticed in recent months that I have begun to speak out about the reopening of the churches, about the safe reopening of churches. Why? Because I've felt the stirring of the Spirit of God in me, and I've come to a place where I cannot keep quiet anymore. I simply have to speak up. And so I believe that I also want this to rub off onto you that you don't keep quiet as well. This is not just about your pastor speaking out and being bold before God. This is about all of us. We're a congregation, we're a church, we're a family, but more importantly, we are an army together. Come on, is anybody with me? And so I feel that it is at the point where it would be unrighteous for me to keep quiet. And so I say to you, you know, the days of meek and mild Johnny are over, okay? <laughs> and this, this uh, pandemic has gone, gone on for a long time, and myself and many other pastors, we've been meek and mild and lovely, lovely, nice, Mr. Nice Guy and so on, but I wanna tell you, we, if I keep quiet anymore, it's unrighteous before God, and I will have to answer to God one day. And so I've made up my mind, I'm speaking out. Because I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is a source of hope, life, and spiritual vitality that affects the entire nation. I believe what the church does affects the very well-being and core of the nation. I believe what the church does pushes back the forces of hell and darkness in the nation. So come on, church of God, arise, arise, arise. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand of praise. So I cannot keep silent. But I want to say to you, in your own situation, in places that God has put you, that you can't keep quiet as well. I want to say to people listening to me today, people that are in school, or people that are on campus studying as students and so on, I want to say that you should not be silent when somebody else is being bullied. You cannot keep quiet. I dare you to have the guts to speak up. Even if you say, well, you'll be criticized and whatever, they'll try to cancel culture me. I wanna tell you, you must speak up. Don't let somebody be bullied. Because when somebody gets bullied, do you know how many years it generally takes? Some people's lives are destroyed because of that, and we cannot be quiet. I wanna say to those in government, don't be quiet when you see corruption. Be a whistleblower for Jesus, and God will honor you for your righteousness. 
I wanna say to those at work or in business, don't be silent when you discover fraud and theft within the company that you're involved in. I had somebody come to me after the first service and they said, John, tomorrow I'm actually sitting together with lawyers as something in a company, in our company which was discovered, we are exposing it. And so I prayed for God's protection over him and he said, this word was so for me today because I know I'm on track with what I'm doing, with what God has laid on my heart to do. I wanna say to families here, don't cover up domestic violence or abuse. Come on, don't cover it up. It actually needs to be reported to the police. Don't cover it up, expose it. But you might say, but it's been in our family for years and we've got it under control. Nonsense, bring it into the light. What is in the darkness must come into the light in order for it to be exposed. And so I ask you, what is God stirring in your heart at this point in time? What do you need to speak up about? at this point in your life, but I pray that God speaks to you in your heart. I wanna say, are you willing to speak up for God? Or does he need to raise somebody else up to speak? I pray that God would not need to raise somebody else up in the company that you're in, in the university that you're in, because you are ready and saying yes to God. So God wants to use your voice to influence society. Can I get an amen on that? Would you please tell somebody next to you, don't keep quiet, speak up, tell them that. Come on, tell the person next to you, don't keep quiet, speak up. Point number two, God has positioned you for such a time as this. Can we have number two on the board, please? Whenever we are ready. There we go. Please say it out aloud with me. God has positioned you for such a time as this. Say it again with a bit more passion. God has positioned you for such a time as this. Now, won't you turn to the person next to you and tell them you were born for this time. You were born for this time. And by the way, I just wanna say, I didn't plan to say this, but sometimes people say, we are not gonna bring children into this world. We married, we're not gonna bring children into this world because this world is too terrible. We don't want them to face the world. I wanna tell you, God wants to bring children into the world and in the same way that he's watched over your life, he will watch over their life. So don't play God, just obey God and be fruitful and multiply as the Bible says to you. Some people say, I don't wanna bring children into this world, it's too dangerous. No, 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 no. God will protect you and he will be with you and he will deliver you, but you just go ahead and obey God and be fruitful and multiply. Come on! <laughs> I'm having some fun here this morning. And so God has positioned you for such a time as this, and let's just reiterate the crux of the story. So God takes Esther out of obscurity to this prominent position to influence the course of an entire nation. Wow, powerfully used of God. Isn't it wonderful how God will use ordinary people, ordinary men and women to accomplish impossible things for his purpose? Because let me tell you, Esther was just an ordinary little person, ordinary Jewish maiden. Mary was an ordinary Jewish girl. God uses ordinary people like you and me. Now, let's look again at verse 14, this time the, the second half of verse 14, and Mordecai basically says this, 
Yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. By the way, I know people that have quoted this as if that's the kingdom of God that she came into. But it was actually, it was into the palace, into being queen. But you can also say that, hey, God has brought us into the kingdom for such a time as this. That same verse, verse 14, the second half in the NLT says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Now, sir, ma'am, young person, listen to me. These words should challenge you and I that we have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Don't let this just be words in a story in the past. Let these be words that challenge you today that you begin to realize, wow, God has brought me into where I am for such a time as this. And so Mordecai makes this declaration as a rhetorical question. But it was more than that because Mordecai was hinting at the providential hand of God. And you know that in all of this, Mordecai was right. Mordecai was saying, don't you think that maybe God has brought you for such a time as this? And he was completely right. Maybe Mordecai had sensed in his inner man that God had brought this about. And he was speaking almost prophetically when he was declaring this. And so he was saying, Esther, this didn't happen by coincidence. It was divine providence. I've heard this phrase. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. <laughs> Quite a cute little phrase. And this seems like coincidence, but God was at work. And perhaps he was just quietly working behind the scenes. Now, if you're making notes today, Write this down, because this is the key issue. Listen to this. In the same way that God placed Esther in her position, so God places each of us in the position he has prepared for us. This is the crux. If you remember nothing else about this message, would you remember this? That in the same way that God placed Esther in her position, so, just like that, God places you in the place he has prepared for you, which means that we should live with a sense of destiny in our hearts, realizing that God is working with amazing detail in our lives. And listen, just a verse to confirm that. Psalm 139, verse 16, it says, your eyes, Lord, saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they were written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. The psalmist is saying, listen, even before my life started, you wrote the whole book of my life. <laughs> you've planned it, you've prepared it. God did that for Esther, he's doing that for you. And I wanna say to you today and challenge something that if you think your life is random and that God is not orchestrating the events of your life, I wanna challenge you and say, think again, because God is masterfully involved in your life. He is orchestrating events according to his will and pleasure. It was no accident that Esther became queen of Persia. Now listen to this. It's no accident that God has you where you are right now. Come on, be excited for where God has placed you. Let there be a sense of destiny for where he has placed you. 
So even though few of us would rise to a position like queen of the nation, like Esther's position, listen, we still have, every one of us, has an essential part to play in the purpose of God on this earth today. And when you begin to say yes to God's purpose, you begin to live an exciting life. I wanna tell you a little story about Freedom Park. Freedom Park is a place in Pretoria which is a high point in our city, not too far from the UNISA, uh, the University of South Africa. And so Freedom Park was built, I don't know, maybe about 14 years ago, and it was an attempt to bring African spirituality and different religions to a place of sort of multicultural mixing part of all sorts of things. But it was an evil spiritual high, high altar in our nation. And so uh, this was created and built and financed by government. And one of the things at Freedom Park, I know there's the honoring of fallen heroes and those that have died in battle for the freedom of South Africa. And perhaps there's a good element, but there's all the mixture which makes it unwholesome. They also have a place there called the Isivivani, which is a spiritual altar and smoke comes out of there. And they had the traditional leaders, the witch doctors and the Sangomas bring rocks from different parts of the nation and bring it there to that Isivivani. They also poured out their libations there and they burnt their things to the ancestors. And uh, all those years ago, they dedicated the nation to the ancestors. What a wicked thing to do. But you know what? When pastors in the city began to hear about this, we began to sense a stirring from God saying, we cannot under our watch do nothing about this. To be silent would be unrighteous. And so we called together a whole grouping of pastors and we went there on that place and we met in that amphitheater and we began to pray and worship God. We began to break the strongholds, the decrees of the devil, the plans and the connections and agreements of the devil. In the power of the Spirit of God, we broke those things. One by one by one, we broke them. And we said our nation will never be dedicated to the ancestors, but we dedicate you, the, the, the nation, to our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we put right what was wrong. And we sang and we worshiped God. We did spiritual warfare because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And then also, we partook in communion. It was beautiful. And so there we were in the amphitheater partaking in communion. And I felt stirred in my heart. You know what I did? I ran down about three or 400 meters. I ran down to this altar, the, the Isivivani, with my communion, and I broke the bread over that altar. The security guard over there was standing watching me. He wasn't sure what to do, but he was powerless to do anything. I broke the bread over that altar, and I poured the blood of Jesus over that altar to the glory of the name of the Lord. And I wanna tell you this, listen. As I did that, I felt like I was born for that very moment. I was born for such a time as that. And that's not the only thing that God's gonna use me to do in my life, but I knew that in my, that moment, I was operating under the influence of the Spirit of God. Praise God. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Hallelujah. I wanna say to you, what if this is the moment that you were born for?
What if this is the moment that you are born for? Would you discern the time? Would you discern the place? And my last point, number three, which is very brief. Number three, choose to play your part in God's plan. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 11 in the NLT, it says, he makes everything work out according to his plan. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Notice the word plan and planned. Do you realize that God has planned things for your life? So what do you need to do? You need to say, well, God, what do you want of me? How can you use me? Because I wanna be ready and available to you. And so if God does indeed have a plan for our lives, which he does, then we have a choice to make. The choice is, will you cooperate with the plan of God or will you run away from the plan of God like Jonah did? And Mordecai presented Esther with a choice. Now Esther could have become fearful and discouraged and she could have decided that she's gonna do nothing, but praise God, she didn't. You know what? She seized the moment and she acted. She did what she needed to do. And I wanna say to you, there's some people, you're listening to me today, and you know God has got your number. You know God is speaking to you right now. And I wanna say to you, would you follow Esther's example, and would you seize the moment, and would you do what God says to you to do? Why don't you tell the person next to you, obey the Holy Spirit. Tell them that. Obey the Holy Spirit. And so I'm about to pray, and I just wanna say that I encourage you, let, let us follow Esther's example. Even at the peril of her own life, she said, I will cooperate with God. And let's say yes to the plan of God, and let you and I play our part in His plan. And so I wanna say to you, if you have a sincere desire to play your part in God's plan, then I'd like to invite you to stand as we pray. This is signifying that I want to play my part, my role in the plan of God. Let us pray right now. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I'm excited in my spirit. I know that you are speaking to hearts and lives of men and women. And Lord, I know that people are responsive in this congregation to your voice because we love to listen to you. We love to obey. And so Lord, I pray that a sense of destiny would come upon your people right now. A sense of I am born for this. A sense of I am born for such a time as this. A sense that you have put me in a place to be an influence at this point in time, Lord. Lord, I even believe that people that might be listening to me that are unemployed and they feel like they don't have a position, I believe that you can use this time to reposition them for them to be more effective for your kingdom. But by the lifting of our hands, we say we surrender, God. By the lifting of our hands, we say you can have your way in my life. You can work in me and you can work through me to the honor and glory of your name. And so we are, here we are, Lord, we say, we present ourselves to you and we declare that we are born for such a time as this. I declare that I am born for such a time as this. Say that with me. 
I am born for such a time as this. One more time. I am born for such a time as this. Now give the Lord a mighty hand of praise. Amen.